Welcome to the mine. We're so glad you folks are here tonight and uh, just want to start off by uh, just giving you a couple of announcements um, and then Seth and Phil are going to come and lead us in worship tonight. Um, real quickly, uh, we had such an outpouring of interest uh, for the Holy Land trip that it's definitely a go. Uh, we will be giving you more details about that. And again, you didn't have to sign up because we know a lot of people wanted to go and the clipboard didn't get by you and maybe you weren't even here this week. We just wanted to get a general idea of if we did this, would we have enough people interested in going to make it worthwhile organizing? And we do. So at this point, we're going to start putting down the hard, fast details and letting you know about that as soon as possible, exactly like you know, what time in, in the spring of 2009 we're going to go and exactly what that's all going to be about and all of that. So anyway, we're so thrilled that that's going to be coming up, something to look forward to. We're just going to take the mind to the Holy Land for a couple of weeks and that'll be cool. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Um, and then the other major thing tonight uh, that I would just like for you guys to be praying about, as many of you know, Pastor Lynn announced it on Sunday. Uh, a young family who uh, attended here, uh, the uh, husband and father was tragically murdered on Saturday night here in Chandler, 26 years old, uh, Sean Foote. And many of you have asked, how do we help this family, whatever. We as a church are still trying to run that out with the family of what's the best way we can help them right now. And we'll be letting you know about that. But if you would like to help them individually, in other words, just you guys just want to help, they have set up a, um, a fund in the name of Sean Foote at both the Chase Bank and Bank of America, if any of you would like to donate to that at this time. But we as a church will be doing something as well, and we'll be letting you know about that. As far as prayer goes, too, uh, the funeral is here at the church on Friday afternoon, and I would just ask for your prayers for me. Uh, I'll be doing the funeral just that God will give me the exact words uh, to be said at that time. And then obviously we want to continue to pray for Jennifer uh, and Alora, uh, who's the three-year-old daughter, and the whole family, and just keep the Foot family in your prayers. Uh, they really need your prayers at this time. Um, but we're seeing God work. Uh, if I could just share this with you. Uh, as we were there Saturday night at the hospital, she turned to me and said, you know, a couple weeks ago when we were together in the service, you brought that mom and dad of the North Carolina mascot to church to share about organ donation and on the way out, Sean said to me, if something ever happens to me, would you please make sure that my organs are donated so that other people can benefit? And uh, that's exactly what's happening right now. And uh, his organs are going out to help other people. So um, just to see the way God worked, even in such a tragedy already, and just to see the people's lives that are being touched, it's just, it's a God thing. And God's working. And just continue to pray. And pray for others. Uh, we just have a lot of people right now in our church family going through a lot of deep waters. And let's just keep praying for one another. And we're going to be incorporating prayer uh, more into the mine um, 
on Tuesday night as far as getting, you know, your requests and trying to process that and see what that's about. Even if we have to just put them on the website, uh, we'll do that. So we're going to be working on that and seeing how that all works out. All right, let's pray and then let's worship the Lord together tonight. God, we are so thankful that uh, in you we have a refuge and you are a very present help in time of trouble. And God, you encourage us to come to you. All who are thirsty, come. All who are uh, needy, come. All who, Lord, are hungry, come to you. And Lord, you are the God who can satisfy and who can nourish and who can strengthen. And Lord, we just pray that we would look to you as our all in all and just continue to come to you for our sustenance, for our nourishment, for everything we need in our life, Lord, that we can just continue to take it each day one step at a time. And move through life, bringing glory and honor to you, and also being an encouragement to others. God, use this night once again to refresh, to encourage, to just excite us about being a follower of Jesus Christ. And may we leave here tonight a little bit different than when we walked in this evening. So uplift our hearts, Lord, through this worship time and through our time in the Word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Yeah. Great worship tonight. Ephesians chapter 3. Let's dive into it this evening. Ephesians chapter 3. And as I was looking over this again, I just couldn't help but think of how timely the messages from God are to us at different seasons of our life. Because as we ended chapter 2 last week, we saw that the focus was that God wanted to build up His church so that it could be a habitation for the Spirit of God to really work and, and grow and expand. And so everything that God does, He does to build up the church. And so that's why Paul then starts out chapter 3 for say, by saying this. If God does everything to build up the church, then there's going to be times personally in my life as part of His church where God may allow me to go through some personal struggle or something that's not necessarily something I would choose to go through, but by going through it, I'm actually being used by God to build the church, to advance the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so in Ephesians 3, Paul says to the Ephesians, remember this, for this reason, the fact that God is going to advance his church and build his church, I, Paul, am a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. The first thing we see there is that Paul is saying, I am never going to allow other people to define me and my life. I'm going to let Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, define my life and who I am and what I become and where I am. Because on a human level, we would say, well, he's not the prisoner of Jesus Christ. He's a prisoner of Rome. But he didn't look at it that way. He looked at it from the perspective that I became a follower of Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus one day. That God totally turned my life around by His power and through His grace and mercy. 
And at that moment, I said, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I will do. And so there came this point in Paul's life where God says, Paul, it would be better for the church if you were a prisoner in Rome. And Paul says, sign me up. Because it's not about me. It's about God building his church and strengthening his church. And many times he will call upon us to go that, that way, to, to go through that thing that we're going through. And it's not always about us. It's about someone else that's being reached and being touched and being impacted by what we're going through and how we're going through it. Because Paul didn't look at being a prisoner of Rome as some kind of personal catastrophe. He saw the purpose of God behind it. He says it's for the sake of you Gentiles. It's so that God can strengthen the church at Ephesus and other places. That's why I'm here. And we might not always be able to figure out the purposes of God and why this and why that. But one thing we can always go back to for sure is as part of the body of Christ, as part of the church, if God is working somewhere that that God is always trying to not discourage the church, not destroy the church, but to strengthen the church in Him and to advance the church in this world in which we live. In fact, keep your finger there in Ephesians 3 and just go over one book to the book of Philippians where Paul expands on this a little bit to the Philippians. Because just like the Christians at Ephesus, they were a little discouraged that this great apostle was in prison. And so he's writing them to reassure them that whatever God is doing in my life and in, in all of this, he's doing it to strengthen and advance the church and to build it up. Notice he says in chapter 1 verse 12 of Philippians, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my situation, being in prison, has actually turned out to advance the gospel. Why? Well, first of all, people that would have maybe never heard the gospel are now hearing it through the testimony of the Apostle Paul because he's there. And instead of him bemoaning his circumstances, he's using his circumstances as a platform to share Jesus Christ. So he says in verse 13, the whole imperial guard and everyone else knows that I am in prison for the sake of Christ. That's why he calls himself an Ephesians, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, because there was a purpose behind it. And notice also, most of the brothers and sisters are having confidence in the Lord because of my imprisonment. Now more than ever, dare to speak the word fearlessly. Not only has God used the imprisonment of Paul to reach people in prison and the guards and all that there that maybe would have never heard had Paul not been there. But now Christians on the outside of prison are saying, if Paul can do what he's doing by the power of God, then I just need to start tapping into the power of God and living above my circumstances also and not allowing what I'm going through to drag me down like it is. Because if Paul can do it, so can I. And Paul was encouraging them. Hey, he wasn't afraid to speak out for Christ even while he was in prison. So why should I as a Christian be Afraid to speak out for Christ outside of prison. The worst thing they can do to me is throw me in prison. And look at Paul. He was an encouragement to them. God used this one man to impact so many different lives. And God does the same thing with you and me. Because there are people that 
we won't, won't even know we impacted until we get to heaven. And one day up there, maybe even a thousand years after we're there, somebody's going to come up to us and go, I just want you to know you really encouraged me. And they'll probably take us back. When did I encourage you? I don't even know you. Well, you did so-and-so for somebody, and then because you did that, their life impacted me and made it... Oh, really? Wow. Never would have put that connection together. And that's exactly what God's doing here. So back to uh, Ephesians chapter 3. Here's what God wants His church to realize. That He is building His church, He is advancing His church, He is strengthening His church... And sometimes that means he's going to call on individual members of his church to go through some personally hard times. Paul would have never chosen for himself to be a prisoner at Rome, but he could see beyond his present circumstances and see how God was using it. And that's what God wants his church to see. It's what God wants his church to see. The gates of hell are not prevailing. God's church is going to move forward in victory. And God guarantees that. God just wants us to be a part of it. You see, we as the church do not fight for victory. We fight from victory. The victory was already won at the cross of Calvary. And three days later, when the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead, folks, Paul says in Romans 8, thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. The victory's already been won. We're not fighting for a victory. We're fighting from victory. And we're just following the Lord into the future. Notice back in Ephesians chapter 3 then, he says, verse 2, if indeed you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Paul says, every one of us as part of the church is given a stewardship. One of the things that God wants us to manage in our lives is His grace. And His grace isn't just given to us as Christians when we become a Christian. His grace is given to us to serve Him, to minister for Him, to impact other people's lives. And it's a stewardship. And it allows us to rise above our circumstances. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, By the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul learned in 2 Corinthians 12, God's grace was sufficient for whatever because God's grace is His empowerment for our daily life. And Paul says, so God gives me His grace every day to help me to live as I should live, to bring glory to Him. And it's a stewardship because we've learned through our study of the Bible, like in Hebrews chapter 12, I can push God's grace away. I can reject it and become very bitter. Or I can accept God's grace and allow God's grace to take me places where I could never go on my own. And so Paul says, I understood that what I was doing was not in my own power. It was not in my own strength. It was simply the stewardship of God's grace. And God was pouring out His grace in my life. And at this moment, I'm being a good steward because I'm able to navigate this difficult situation personally in my life of being a prisoner. And I'm doing it in a positive way. And God's grace can help us do amazing things. I've seen it in my own life. I even saw it Saturday night. 24-year-old widow. How did she navigate that and continues to navigate it and will continue to navigate that? By God's grace as she continues to tap into it. God's grace enables us to do humanly what is impossible. 
I've, I've shared this with you before. My father was not just my father. He was my best friend. And when he died of cancer 17, 18 years ago, I preached his funeral. And many people were like, how were you able to do that? I tell people, it wasn't me. It was the stewardship of God's grace. God's grace was pouring out in my life so that I could do that. It wasn't Jeff Royce. It won't be, hopefully, Jeff Royce on Friday at 4 o'clock at this church either. It'll be God's grace that enables me to stand before those folks and share the hope that we have in Christ, even at times like this that make no sense. It's God's grace. And again, you'll notice in verse 2, he says, this stewardship of God's grace isn't about me. It was given to me for you. Again, many times we have to realize that the things we go through and, and how we navigate them by God's grace and how we step up and, and we are able to see victory in our life, even in difficult times, it's not about us. It's not about how it affects us. It's about God using our life to reach through us into someone else's heart and mind. And Paul recognized that, and we've got to also. Because many times, maybe when something bad happens in our life, the first thing we do is, I wonder what I did to make God mad at me. Like somehow the only reason I'm suffering the way I'm suffering and why I'm going through what I'm going I must have done something to make God mad. And so he's just punishing me somehow because of this. Folks, it might not have anything to do with you or me. It might have everything to do with God just wants us at that moment to be good stewards of his grace, accept his grace, and allow his grace to be able to make an impact and a testimony in somebody else's life. So that as they sit back and watch how we navigate that difficult moment, the first thing that comes to their mind has got to be, They've got to have a power outside of themselves. I've got to find out what that is. Which opens up then a door and an opportunity for us to share the hope and the power behind our life. And then when they come up and say, how are you able to do what you're doing? We can say, well, it's not me. It's the power of Jesus Christ in my life. Would you like to know about that power? And it opens up all kinds of doors. That's exactly what Paul was experiencing. As he was there in prison, he was probably the most happy prisoner the guards ever saw. You know, most of the people in prison aren't this joyful. You know, they're over there bemoaning their circumstances or just sort of, you know, sitting, soaking and souring through each day and maybe even wondering how they can get out and all these kind of things. And here's Paul talking to him about the Lord and the purposes of the Lord and how good it is to know the Lord. And I'm sure those guards, before they ever got a, a verbal witness from Paul, just sat back in amazement. And how could this guy navigate being in prison like this? Which then opened up the verbal testimony. And that's the way it is most of the time. That God will use what he's doing in our life through his grace to set a platform so that then the verbal testimony will come after it. Because people will observe us and say, there's got to be something beyond what I know about. What is it? Then notice in verse 3, that by revelation the divine secret was made known to me as I wrote briefly, or before briefly. When reading this, you will be able to understand my insight into the secret of Christ. First of all, I want to go back up to verse 3. 
Paul reminds them of the importance of God's revelation. And he uses the word mystery or secret. Don't be spooked by that. It's not talking about something mysterious. When the Bible uses the concept of mystery or secret in the Bible, it speaks about something that was not fully revealed and explained in the Old Testament, but now God has chosen to explain fully in the New Testament. And the specific secret or mystery that Paul's talking about here to the Ephesians, the content of it is found in verse 6. Look at it. Namely, that through the gospel, the Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. It's sort of what we talked about last week. The secret, the mystery is simply this, that Jew and Gentile exist, as we talked about last week, in one body, unified together. Now, in the Old Testament, we learned that God wanted Gentiles to know Him. You know, you read books like the book of Jonah. God sent a Jewish prophet to the largest city in the known world at that time, Nineveh, to let the Ninevites know about God. So it wasn't like God only cared about Jews in the Old Testament and He didn't care about Gentiles. He cared about everybody, just like He cares about everybody today. But He chose the Israelites so that they would be, hopefully, a light. So it was a great privilege, but also a great responsibility to point the rest of the world to the one true God, which they always didn't do a very good job of. But God says, yeah, you knew in the Old Testament that I love Gentiles and that I wanted to have a relationship with them, but there was nothing in the Old Testament about the church and about this new body where God was going to bring Jew and Gentile into one body and where the Gentiles were going to be able to share all the blessings without becoming Jewish proselytes. You see, it wasn't like, well, a Gentile had to become a Jew. No. No, not at all. In fact, that was that whole book of Acts. Read the whole book of Acts. You know, the Jews were like, well, I know they have Christ, but don't we circumcise them and, and don't we make them Jews still? And God was saying, no, they don't have to become Jews. They're now part of my body. Don't try to make them Jews. And that's the secret. That's the mystery that now is fully revealed and made known and made, making sense in the New Testament, but was not revealed in the Old Testament. But notice verse 3. It was by revelation. What was unknowable was only going to be known because God chose to reveal it. And every day God wants His church to praise Him and to worship Him for the mere fact that God has revealed Himself as much as He has. A lot of times we complain about the fact that we don't have all the answers. He hasn't given me enough answers instead of looking at all the answers He has given us. And though the Bible teaches that God hasn't given us all the answers we want to know, the Bible does teach that God has given us all the answers that we need to know. To have a relationship with Him, to glorify Him, to live an abundant life. Everything that we need to know, God has revealed to us. And the Bible over and over again talks about the wonderful revelation that's given us insight, not just into spirituality, but even into, say, science. That the Bible's not particularly a science book, but when it speaks scientifically, it speaks the truth. So that men could have understood more about science if they would have just trusted and believed in God. For instance, in the Old Testament book of Jonah, it talks about mountains at the bottom of the sea. 
If men would have just trusted God, they would have said, hey, there's mountains underneath there. No, we don't have a, we don't have a vessel yet that can go down that far to, to prove it. But now guess what? We know through our technology that God was right. That thousands of years before man ever had technology to be able to go down that far, guess what? There's mountains down there. How would they have known that without God revealing it to them? They wouldn't. In the Old Testament book of Isaiah, it talks about God sitting in the circle of the earth. The earth was round. Well, up until a couple hundred years ago, men and women were still arguing about the earth being flat. If they would have just trusted God's revelation, they would have known it was round a long time ago. God also revealed in his word that the things which we see are made out of things which you can't see. Man, for hundreds, thousands of years, couldn't figure that out until God gave man the technology to be able to have things like microscopes and stuff and realize, you know what? This thing is made up of things like molecules and atoms and protons and neutrons, and and I can't see them with my naked eye, but there's stuff going on there that actually makes that matter up. All by revelation. And God has given man so much revelation. And Paul says, I wouldn't know anything without God choosing to reveal these things to me. And because he's revealed these things to me and I trust him and I believe in what he's revealed to me, it gives me an understanding and an insight that people who choose not to trust God just don't have. So in verse 4... When reading this, you will be able to understand, Paul says, even to the Ephesians, my insight into this secret of Christ. Now, this secret was not disclosed to people in former generations, as we talked about the Old Testament, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Another important phrase. Yes, God reveals it to us, but we always have to remember that it is the agency of His Holy Spirit that is truly our teacher and our guide and the one who really illuminates this in our mind. And so we have to rely on the Spirit of God to understand the things of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that's what that passage is all about. And then verse 6, namely that through the gospel the Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. And I believe the promise there is used in the widest sense to include all Christian blessings. I don't believe he's talking just about the promise of the Holy Spirit and the promise of this. and the. I think he's talking about all the blessings that is incorporated in all that God has promised. Meaning that the Gentiles enjoy all the blessings that Jews do in the body of Christ. Because we're all one body as we talked about last week. Now notice verse 7. I became a servant of this gospel according to the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the exercise of his power. Notice Paul is rejoicing in his privilege of ministering this gospel, operating totally by God's effective energy in him. He's saying, guys, even when it comes, again, to ministry and service, it's not me It's not by my power. It's not by my wisdom or my intellect. It is the gift of God's grace, and it is this exercise of His power flowing in me and through me. So that as a Christian in the church, called to minister, to serve, to fill some kind of role that we've already talked about and we will continue to talk about throughout the book of Ephesians, I never do it in my own power and strength, and I don't have to worry about doing it in my own power and strength. It never has to be like that. It always just has to be just depending upon the power of the Spirit of God 
to exercise his power through me. As I say, a good picture to remember about the Christian life is not one where you have a glass and where you have this pitcher of water and, and, and we say, I, I need God to fill me up. No, it'd be better to take that cup, cut the bottom out, and turn it on its side and stick it in the river. And that's the picture of the Christian life, where it's a constant flow of God's Spirit and God's power and God's grace going through me and out me to touch other people, just like he did with Paul. Because if I do the other one where the glass is like this, it gets emptied, it gets spilled out, and eventually, you know, as a Christian, I'm burned out. I, I have nothing left. I have nothing left to give anybody else because I'm, I'm not ministering and serving out of the overflow of what God's doing in my life. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here in verse 7. So I know that some of you have had a rough week. I've already heard some of the things that you guys are going through. And, and, and we don't know what this coming week is, is going to have in store for us. What we're going to face. But I know this for sure. That I need not face anything both today and this coming week in my own power. I do know that that I have the power of God available to me, that I can face whatever I need to face in this coming week. And that should encourage all of us. Never forget, verse 7, it is the exercise of His power within us that God wants us to tap into. And then Paul writes this little bit of a personal testimony. I don't think he's being uh, exercising false humility here. I, I think he truly is taken back by what God has done in his life. Because he says, To me, less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given to me. Now, Paul could have meant a couple of things. First of all, the name Paul literally means little one. So Paul could just be saying, I, I realize in and of myself I'm pretty small, but I know a great God, and God can do great things even through small people. The other thing that Paul could mean here is, he, as he looks back on his former life as a persecutor of the church, he can't help but always be amazed and astonished at the power of how God turned his life around. Because if you know anything about Paul's past, he was like, doing everything he could to destroy the church that Jesus Christ was building. And it was only on the road to Damascus that that light came on and that light bulb came on and he allowed God to turn his life completely around. And Paul is saying, I think, to us, guys, if God can do that in my life, he can do it in your life or anybody's life. And if God can use me and wants to use me and is willing to use me, he can use anybody. Because I was a persecutor of the church. I threw Christians into prison. I was part of Christians being murdered. And God forgave me of all that. Not only forgave me of all that and allows me to go to heaven, but he's given me a ministry and service as now one of his chief spokespeople for the church, talk about a demonstration of his grace and his mercy. No one could ever look at the life of Paul and say, well, your God 
only uses certain people and your God only loves certain kinds of people and your God can forgive a lot, but he can't forgive too many things. Paul is just a great example of just how wide God's grace is, how deep God's grace is. And I think Paul never got over the fact that God was willing to love him and save him and give him then a ministry within the church and not just any ministry, a prominent ministry. For most, I think, Christians who study the Bible, a lot of them would say Paul was the greatest Christian who probably has ever lived. But Paul didn't start out that way. Paul started out as probably the greatest persecutor of the church who ever lived. So Paul is saying, my own life demonstrates what kind of power I'm talking about. It is a power that has totally transformed and turned my life around And allowed me to be used in service to the glory of God. And if God can do that with me, he can do that with you. In fact, notice he says this grace, verse 8, was given to proclaim to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. I think the wonder of what God allowed him to be a part of just always thrilled his soul. And, And I want to make a couple of comments. I think you and I, as the church, should live every day just reminding ourselves and remembering how cool it is that God not only saves us, but places us in His church, gives us gifts and abilities and talents, and allows us the privilege of serving Him and ministering for Him to impact other people's lives, and it's, it's something that touches eternity, that So often on this earth as human beings, what we touch and what we work for and what we labor for and what we sweat for are only earthly things. And yet through our relationship with God and through being part of the church, we are able through God to affect eternity. We're we're involved with eternal things, the unfathomable riches of Christ. And God allows us to all be a part of that. How cool is that? And Paul says, I never want to get over that. I never want to get over the fact that God gives me the privilege of living every day that my life counts for eternity. That my life does have purpose. And not just purpose for this earth and however long I live, but purpose way beyond that. Even way beyond my death. I mean, you think about the Bible that you and I read. All these people have been dead for hundreds if not thousands of years and yet their lives and their life of faith and what they wrote still impacts us immensely. And God can use our lives the same way with other people if we live for his glory. And that's what Paul's saying. The other thing I wanted to point out is that Paul throughout here also talks about the importance of narrowing the focus of our life and living what I call a laser beam life rather than a shotgun life. And the reason I say that is if you go back up to verse 1, you'll notice, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. And then he talks about the Gentiles back up here in verse 8, that the grace that was given to me was to proclaim to the Gentiles. Now that doesn't mean that if Paul met a Jew who wanted to know Christ, he goes, uh, okay, You wait right there. i got to go get somebody else who wants to talk to you. Because I'm just supposed to talk to Gentiles. But what Paul is saying is this. He's saying, look, I'll talk to anybody. 
But I know that God gave me a specific ministry. And the specific ministry that God gave me was to reach Gentiles. Not that I won't talk to a Jew, but that's the specific ministry. That's the laser beam. That's where Paul went. That's where he knew God wanted him to go. Take the gospel to the Gentiles. I think too often, and I think we're very well intentioned. You know, we love God, we want to serve Him, but we end up getting ourselves involved in 10 different ministries, going in 10 different directions. And we, we give it a, our best in all of those things, but nothing ever really, like, really hits the mark. I think God would say to us, wouldn't it be better if you and I just narrowed the focus of our life and really did one or two things very, very well and allowed me to just work through those one or two things in your life? Wouldn't that actually be a greater impact than getting involved in 10 ministries and trying to you know, be that plate spinner that goes around keeping the plates spinning on all those and never really accomplishing anything of real impact? I tell people... I say, my life has been more defined by what I didn't get myself involved in than what I did. It was the freedom many years ago that God gave me to say, no. No. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to study the Bible so many hours a day, and I'm going to teach the Bible so many hours. And that's, that's, that's my laser beam. That's it. And it's not that I won't do other things and can't do other things or whatever, but predominantly, that's what Jeff Royce's life is going to be. It's going to be wrapped up around this book, studying it, teaching it, and that's the role I'm going to play in the church. And God has the same plan for your life. He's given you certain gifts and abilities and talents, and if you just go after those and just focus on those, and develop those, and strengthen those, God will use you in greater ways. Greater ways. And that's one of the things that Paul's pointing out here. Notice also, Paul says back up in chapter 3, verse 9, that part of his ministry as part of the church is to enlighten, to, to throw light. The, the Greek word here is photizo, where we get the word photo from. And he's literally saying that part of our job as the church is to, 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 to throw light on, on something. To put light on an area. And to be a light. In fact, that's why in the book of Revelation, when Jesus writes to the seven churches, the symbol of the church that he uses is the lampstand. Because he wants his church to be a light in their community. A lighthouse, if you will. So that people who are looking for light or looking for truth or looking for answers or looking for hope can look around their community and see churches like Cornerstone and other churches that stand upon the Word of God and know there's light there. I'm going to go there and find some answers. And that's exactly what Paul says in verse 9 when he says, To enlighten everyone about God's secret plan, a secret that has been hidden for ages in God who has created all things, and then notice this. I love this. The purpose of this enlightenment is not just earthbound. Paul blows me away with what he's about to reveal in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 3. That do you realize that what God is doing in your life and in the life of our church 
is not something that's just impacting earth and eternity, but right now it's impacting heaven and angels. Notice what he says in verse 10. Don't miss this. The purpose of this enlightenment is that through the church, don't miss that either. It's not through something, it's through the church. The multifaceted wisdom of God should now be disclosed to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. Folks, that's angels. That's angels. And first of all, I want you to see that Paul here is reminding all of us that God's wisdom is multifaceted. Meaning it has so many sides to it. So that if I'm going through this situation and I need this wisdom, God's got a wisdom for that situation. If I'm going through this circumstance or I'm suffering this, God's got a wisdom to match that. In other words, the Bible is just reminding us that whatever wisdom we need for whatever situation, God's got a wisdom to match it. And if we don't know what that wisdom is, James 1.5 says, If any of you in the church lack wisdom, ask God and He'll give it to you. Because He wants us to live by His wisdom. And He wants us to be able to have the wisdom to know, What do I match with this situation? How do I navigate this? God gives us His multifaceted wisdom. And it's through the wisdom that He's giving the church that, notice, the rulers and the authorities in heavenly realms basically go, Wow. That's pretty cool. In fact, I think that one of the things that Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 is teaching is that sometimes I think angels don't just get fascinated with the corporate body of the church and what God's doing and what the church is doing and how it's being built up and how it's advancing and how it's being strengthened. But I think there's certain angels that even get fascinated with individual believers. Did you see what Steve did? Did, did you see how he navigated? Did, did you see what God's grace and wisdom did? Did you see how? And that there's angels up there when they get a break. And God, I think God gives them breaks. They're sitting around the water cooler in heaven going, do you see what's going on down there with that guy? How about that gal? Single mom. Look at what she's doing by the grace of God. Wow. Because you see, they don't, they're not operating on that plane. I mean, they're there with God. They have a whole different perspective. They don't have to operate by faith because they're before the throne of God every day. But it just fascinates them to see how God works through human beings like Paul. This little guy, the least of all the saints, and how God could take somebody who was persecuting the church and killing Christians and throwing them into prison, and how God was so awesomely great and powerful and wise, and you just name whatever you want to name, and how he was able to transfer and transform and turn Paul's life around, and now cause Paul to be this guy that God is using in such a great way. The angels are just like, wow. God, you, it just causes them to praise God even more and they can even seem and it still amazes them. I think it's so cool when you and I as the church live in such a way that we're amazing the angels. The angels are like, wow, look at that. So think about that this week. You may have had a week that just, bleh, but maybe by the grace of God, in fact, just by the fact you're here, if you've had a rough week, that's saying something.
Because it could have been so easy for some of you just to stay home and just wallow in it. But you didn't. By the grace of God, you came tonight and said, God, you know, I don't even feel like going to the mine tonight, but I'm going. I'm just hoping you do something. And the angels are up there going, look at that. Look at that. That's pretty cool. Because you see, they, they don't know anything about operating by the grace of God. You see. They don't know anything about this exercise of his power and all of that to navigate these things. But we do. And that's the privilege we have as a church. You see, I believe that there's a university of angels. And guess who that is? The church. You see, most people maybe think that the angels teach us something. But the Bible teaches us that, no, we're teaching the angels something about God. Something that they can't get in heaven, but they can get through observing what the church does with this multifaceted wisdom that God pours out to us. And then, i got to get here, verse 11 and 12. This was according to the eternal purpose that accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, everything that God has ever done goes back to what Christ did. It all goes back to the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, the triumphant life he lived. It all goes back. He laid the foundation. That's why in Ephesians he's called the cornerstone. And through him and in him, notice verse 12, in whom we have boldness and confident access to God because of Christ's faithfulness. That when we do go through those tough days, folks, let's not forget as the church, first of all, we have boldness. That word literally means Being able to speak freely. It means that even on those days where I don't, I'm just upset with God. I may even be mad at God. That I'm allowed as part of the church to speak freely to my God. There's a lot of people in my life I can't speak freely with. I can't tell them how I really feel. Here's the cool thing for Christians. We can tell God how we really feel any day, any time about anything. Because he already knows anyway. He just wants us to be transparent enough with him to just share it. I still say that's why David was called a man after God's own heart. We know David made a lot of mistakes. But the thing that made David precious in God's sight is when David was upset with God, he told him. When David was frustrated with God, he told him. When David was frustrated with life, he told him. That's what the Psalms are all about. That's why we love them so much. David, you're just speaking my frustration to God for me, so I'm going to read the Psalms. Makes me feel good. They not only speak to my heart, they speak for me. I I can identify with the Psalms. Many of them. We all do. That's why we go to the Psalms a lot when we're going through tough times. That's what the word boldness means. And we have that privilege as part of the church to speak freely to God and say whatever we want to to Him. He's not going to turn us off. And then confident access. Meaning that not only do we have the ability to speak freely, but we have a ready entrance Into the very presence of God, anytime, anywhere, without any hesitation. I don't need to, like, if the door's closed, knock on the door and think what kind of reception I'm going to get. Is he going to open up the door? 
Is he going to speak to me today? What kind of mood is he in? I never have to worry about that with God. I have to worry about that with other human beings. And they have to worry about that with me. But I never have to worry about that with God. I can always go into the very presence of God without hesitation and not have to worry about, oh, I'm sorry, I can't see you today. Too busy. Uh, no, you need to shape up first and all this kind of stuff. That's what Paul's saying. That's the privilege of the church, to be able to pray to God anytime, anywhere about anything. And the privilege that we have, notice, is not because of us, but he reminds us it's because of Christ's faithfulness. Therefore, verse 13, for this reason... The fact that we have such great access to God, an access to God that could be summed up in one word, the word prayer, for this reason, he tells the Ephesians, and he's telling you and I tonight who are here in the mine, February 12, 2008, I ask you not to lose heart. Don't get discouraged. Don't allow your circumstances right now to overwhelm you or to defeat you. In this specific case, notice he tells the Ephesians not to lose heart because of what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. You see, in this specific instance, the Ephesians and the Philippians and other Christians were becoming very disheartened. Because here's the great apostle Paul of the church and he's, he's in prison. God, why are you allowing Paul to be in prison? Allow me to be in prison or somebody, but Paul, doesn't that look like you're being defeated when your main guy is bound in chains in Rome? Doesn't it look like you're losing when stuff like that happens? And Paul says, don't lose heart. Remember something. He's telling the Ephesians and he's telling us too that God loves you so much and wants to strengthen you so much and wants to build you up so much and wants to advance the church so much that he's given me the privilege of going through the rigors of what I'm going through as a prisoner in Rome so that God could use my life to build up other people. That's how special you are to God. And he not only told the Ephesians that, but I think he's speaking through Paul and telling you and I that as well. And that's why he says, don't lose heart. Of course, they wouldn't be rejoicing that Paul was suffering, but they could rejoice in its purpose and what it was accomplishing, the advancement of the church. And that's why Paul says, don't lose heart. Because God is working through these things in your life. And he doesn't want any of them to define you or to defeat you or to discourage you. Everything that he's allowing you to go through, he's allowing it so that you will be strengthened and so your life can be strengthening and encouraging others. And we just need to remind ourselves of that. And the best way for the Christian never to lose heart and be discouraged, here it is, one word answer, simple but yet profound prayer. You show me a Christian who is at this moment defeated, discouraged, and in despair, and I will show you a Christian who's really struggling in their prayer life. You show me a Christian over here who may be going through some really difficult things, but man, they're taking advantage of that access 
And they're pouring their heart out to God and they're saying, God, help me. Not just once a day, but maybe every minute of the day. They're saying, God, I can't go another step. I need you. Please, Lord, give me your grace. And they're praying and they're beseeching God and they're asking God for help. And I'll show you a Christian, no matter what they're going through, they're able to still put one foot in front of the other. And they're able to move forward because of prayer. Because if I could close with one thought with you tonight. I'd like to take you back real quickly to the Gospel of Luke. If you go back to the Gospel of Luke, Jesus sort of sums it all up right here for us. In Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, Jesus told them this particular parable to show them that they should always what? Pray and not what? Give up, lose heart, be discouraged. Right there from the lips of Jesus himself. He says, here's the secret to endurance. Here's the secret to perseverance. Here's the secret to not giving up, to not throwing in the towel, to not losing heart. It's prayer. Why do we see Jesus himself even modeling that in his own earthly life? He was always going up into the mountain and fellowshipping with his father and praying. He was always encouraging his disciples. Won't you pray? Even just one hour with me? Won't you pray? Don't you know what's coming? Don't you know the temptations that are coming? Peter, you don't know what you're going to be facing tomorrow. Won't you stay up for just a little while and pray? Because I know that the secret of your perseverance tomorrow when those soldiers come to arrest me is prayer. Won't you pray? And the Bible says, no, they opted for sleep over some time in prayer. And the Bible says the very next day, all the disciples forsook him and fled. They didn't have the strength to stand up to the trials that they were facing because they were prayerless. Why is the church suffering so much from powerlessness? Because the church overall is not praying and taking advantage in the right way of the access that we have to God like we should. Jesus said men and women ought always to pray and not to faint, not to give up. We need to pray for each other. We need to pray together. We need to pray to God. We just need to speak freely and just come without hesitation into his very presence and say, God, I'm having a terrible day. I'm having a terrible day. God, I just, this is hard. I've been there. I've went weeks in my Christian life where I don't think God heard me say one nice thing out of my mouth to him. I was going through that hard of a time. But God was always there. He's the best listener in the world. And he's also the one that's going to take those prayers and through our prayers and through our communication with Him, He's going to give us a power and a grace beyond ourselves to just keep on keeping on and not throwing in the towel. Guys, maybe that's you tonight. Maybe that's some family and friends in your life that you know. They're ready to just give up, throw in the towel. I just this past week have met with five people personally who basically in their life were ready to just throw in a towel and give up. It's not worth going on one more day. 
Guys, there's a lot of folks out there like that. And we need to give them the message of hope that we have through Christ. And they need to see the reality of Christ and the hope that Christ gives us in our life. And we need to just encourage to pray with them. You know, maybe the best thing we can do as Christians sometimes when we come upon somebody like this and say, will you let me pray with you? There's nothing I can maybe say at that point to encourage them and all of a sudden just turn their life around. But I can at least show the love that I have for them by just saying, can we pray together? Let's go to the God who has the answers because I certainly don't, but I know that God does. And let's pray. And in closing tonight, let's pray. God, I just pray that you would infuse each of these folks tonight with your power and your grace. And Lord, may they just sense that presence and power pulsating through their life right now. God, if they're going through real deep waters right now, I just pray that you would continue to just lift them above those waters and keep them afloat and keep them moving forward and just... God, give them the hope and courage they need to just face each and every day. Help them to tap into that power and just encourage them to keep talking to you and keep praying and, and not losing heart and not giving up. And God, use our lives as we continue to to tap into that power as well, to just be an encouragement to others who are ready to give up and ready to throw in the towel. God, just Strengthen your church. Advance your church. Build your church. And if you choose us to go through something personally hard, like the Apostle Paul is in his prison state, God, help us not to live as if it's all about us all the time. But that maybe, maybe, just maybe, you're using what I'm going through to touch somebody else's life. And either bring them to Christ or strengthen their Christian faith. God, go with us from this place. May we leave here different than when we walked in tonight. For your glory and grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, have a great week. I love you. See you back next Tuesday.